Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode six of It's a Trap. My name is Cam. He's Dave, and we've got uh, we've got a fun one this episode. Yeah, uh, we are talking about Fargo this episode, and uh, more specifically, Officer Marge Gunderson of Brainerd PD. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. It is a good one. Uh, I watched it li- late last night. <laughs> late last night. And I finished about one fifteen in the morning. And oddly enough, did not have any wood chipper dreams. That's good. Yeah, that's that that that's very good. But uh so this movie came out in nineteen ninety six, correct, David? Yes. And man, that was twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. I was in fifth grade, I think, in 1996. <laughs> so a little 10-year-old chubby cam. And anyways, it was written, directed, and produced by the Cohen brothers, Ethan and Joel, who have gone on from this movie to do many, many, many successful other movies. Uh, and starring actors and actresses in this movie, uh, William H. Macy who I've told Davis already, I just wanted to punch through the television on multiple occasions because everything about his character is just the absolute worst. Mm-hmm. Everything about him, uh, his character. Uh, Frances McDormand, who is the subject of this episode, she is the actress that played Marge Gunderson. And then you've also got uh, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stramare, who are the two thugs. And... um I gotta be honest, I kinda wanted to punch Steve Buscemi every time he's on screen too. But that was the point of his character. Yeah. And which is why his demise is so fitting. Spoiler alert at the end. Um But what was your opinion on um the cast? I mean I thought it was well cast. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly well yeah. cast and um I think they all did a really good job of um working on their Minnesota nice and their accents and all that and yeah I, th- I think the most annoying voice in the whole movie second goes to william h macy first goes to his wife oh yes oh jerry it's dad on the phone <laughs> jerry's dad on the phone oh god it was the worst and yeah. by the worst i mean like super accurate for someone who's you know born and raised in the uh you know Minnesota. Yes. Um, you lived in Minnesota for a few years, so you have firsthand experience. Well, and that's, we, ha- Melissa and I were actually living in Minnesota when this movie came out. And I think it was one of the reasons why we enjoyed it so much is that, you know, we're trans- transplants uh, from Kansas to Minnesota, uh, where basically, I think to their ears, we had a Southern accent. Um, And so Melissa and I love this movie. And it was funny because we lived in Minneapolis. Um, uh, The, uh, the Mike guy that she has lunch with. Oh gosh. He's uh, talks about Edina and Mm -hmm. and Eden Eden Prairie. Prairie. That's basically where Melissa and I lived in Eden Prairie. Uh Well, we lived in Minnesota. We lived in Minneapolis when we first got there. Then we lived in Eden Prairie, and we worked in Edina. Uh, but people who lived there were like, 
we don't talk like that. I don't understand why this is. I mean, it was like, and it wasn't like a, it just was like truly just this dry, like, I don't even, I don't even understand why this is funny. This is, we don't talk like that. And Melissa and I were like, yes, you do. It's like, oh, this is hilarious how much you talk like this. Well, and I mean, even more to that point is that the Coen brothers are from North Dakota. So, I thought they were from Minnesota. Uh, based on what I read, let's go to Mr. Joel Cohen. Oh, yeah, Minneapolis. Okay, what I read, <laughs> I, the, in my defense, the review on the iTunes store is wrong then. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they're from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So it's them poking fun at their own people. Yeah. So anyways, uh, so good cast, well cast. Uh, Coen Brothers obviously went on to be very successful um, in the in the movies, Dave, in the movies. But let's, uh, let's jump into uh, likes and dislikes of the movie itself before we focus on Marge. Mm-hmm. What did you like about the movie? Um, well, like I said, we, Melissa and I really did enjoy... Um, the characters and just uh, how it played up um, their accents. Uh, they have a thing called Minnesota nice up there, which uh, my opinion of Minnesota nice is it's their way of not really having to uh, show you any hospitality. It's the whole, my fridge is your fridge. You come to my house, help yourself out of the fridge. Um, and then it's just, you know, e- even when there's a confrontation, Everything is a uh huh yeah sure and it's it, you never really get the angry side of anybody it's just everybody's always nice to each other it's and, like they want to it's like they want to become part of Canada is what you're saying yes and so uh, I think they nailed that um, the other thing that I thought was really funny was uh, Marge and her husband in particular the way they're always going out to eat and the way they're always eating and it again very much our experience in Minnesota, but kind of the thing that you don't get out of that is the food is horrible there. And, you know, they, I think at one point they show Marge going through a buffet where it was kind of the, just like Swedish meatballs and, you know, it's kind of dumplings and things like that. And it's, it is, it's like they eat, but it's like the most bland food that you would ever. And then every other time you see her eating, it's fast food. Yeah. Hardee's or uh, McDonald's or whatever. Yeah. Arby's. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I I love is lunch a big thing there? Because every time she's eating in the movie too, it's always lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say lunch is okay. Yeah, because I find that interesting. Because every time she's eating, mm-hmm. it's, it's lunch. always lunch, <laughs> and Norm is always there to have lunch with her, her yeah. husband. Yeah, yeah, Norm, son of a Gunderson, which is one of the <laughs> best movie nicknames ever. Yes. Um. So yeah, they, they to me they just capture the whole um it, in in the movie's brief enough that it doesn't become annoying. Now there are like you said there are certain characters like the wife that it uh, um why am I drawing a William H Macy's wife in the movie? Um she gets a little bit annoying. Um I love uh, are we doing just what we like in general or scenes in particular? Whatever you want. Okay. I, I I absolutely love Marge's response to the crime scene 
when she's out there and just how nonchalant she is. And, oh, there's another one over here. And <laughs> this must be the second victim. <laughs> oh, you don't say to the dead person. She's like, I think that's a defensive wound. She's holding her hand to her forehead because the bullet goes through. The- yeah. <laughs> just like, this is not what you're expecting from a middle-aged pregnant lady. No. But I also love the fact that she is almost like spot on of her assessment of what happened just at her first glance at the crime scene. And um, I will just say that there are people that are that way. They just, from the get go, they kind of are like, this happened, this happened, this happened. And uh, to me, Marge is kind of one of those people. And that's one of the reasons why that she's the police chief. And, um, you know, um, there really isn't even anything, you know, because she's this, she's a pregnant mom and there's no like feminist agenda or anything like that. It's just Marge is good at her job. Mm-hmm. And there's other people in the movie who aren't good at their job. And I think she even, you know, one calls poor like, Lou out. Yeah. yeah uh, Lou, I'm mean, we have to disagree or I'm not, uh, your police work's not up to par there. Yeah, I'm not a hundred percent on board with your police work. Um, Oh, there's going to be so many, so many Minnesotan accents in this podcast. Just yeah, bear with us. Yeah, not very good ones either. So, um, well, you don't say. Yeah, and, and that's, I, it, um, I, I, I think I've mentioned this in movies before. I appreciate when they the the storyteller doesn't find it necessary to give you a lot of back information. They don't have to explain every little thing that happens. Um, uh, you don't know why. What what is what what Mage Macy's character's name? Why am I drawing a blank? Jerry Lundegaard. Lundegaard. That's right, Jerry Lundegaard. You don't know why he's in debt, right? Like you don't really get why. Well, but like you wouldn't even know that he's necessarily in that's debt, true, yeah. Unless you read the sort of blurb about the movie, or you pay really really close attention to some of the phone conversations sure. he has. Yeah. And you kind of piece it together yourself that like, okay, he's, so at one point in the movie, he gets a call from GMAC, which mm-hmm. is, I'm, I'm assuming general motors, something corporate something credit. I think. Yeah. Credit America. Uh, who knows? But he has fudged the serial numbers on these cars and has gotten like a sum of like $320,000 mm-hmm. lent to him. And then he's trying to, uh, get his wealthy father-in-law to loan him $750,000. And then he's trying to pay the uh, bad guys $40,000 of the $1 million ransom he told his father-in-law was the price. And so clearly, as the movie progresses, you see this dude is is either super greedy, way, I mean, just crazy in debt, or psychotic if not all three yeah and that is actually one of the true quote-unquote true stories of the movie one of the things that spurred this was there was actually a guy like in the 80s or the 70s who was doing that very thing he was sending uh illegible vin numbers to general motors and getting this money and i believe he was either the owner of the car dealership. There was a a, a familial relationship to mm-hmm. his piece there. So, 
So anyway, those were things that I liked. Perhaps before we go on, we should we should share the plot of the movie. Oh, that's probably good, yeah. <laughs> um Jerry Lundegaard, as we said, is uh he is the executive sales manager at his father-in-law's car dealership. Father-in-law's super rich, pretty much hates Jerry because Jerry is a bumbling idiot. Yeah. And Jerry decides, oh, in order to pay off this debt or in order to make a lot of money off of my jerk of a father-in-law, I'm going to pay these two random guys from Fargo, which is where the movie gets a title. So the, the movie opens with him towing a car behind like a GMC... It's like a Sierra pulling a Sierra, but like, like a little front wheel drive. Six the GMC cylinder. Sierra to me is a big block minivan. Oh, this is the old like four door sedan yeah. uh, with the bike spoke hubcaps and all that stuff through through the uh, Minnesotan and North Dakota winter all the way to Fargo to, to meet Steve Buscemi and Peter Stramari's characters in the movie in some dive bar, and he essentially steals the car to give to them so it's unmarked. Mm-hmm. And he tells them that he's going to pay them $40,000 to kidnap his wife so that his father-in-law will pay an $80,000 ransom. They get half, he gets half, everyone's happy, no one gets hurt. So clearly you can see this is going to go really well. Anyways, kidnapping happens, turns sideways. Uh, they get pulled over by cops because he doesn't have any tags on his car. They kill the cop. They kill two witnesses. And then they head off into, you know, the wilderness of, of northern Minnesota to hide out until it all shakes out. And then mm-hmm. from there, it's just another, it's a comedy of errors that results in a lot of people dying. Yeah. All because this one guy, Jerry. Jerry Lundegaard's the. Can't uh, manage his money or his um, temptations to gamble or throw money away. or who, We don't really ever know why he needs all this money, but he's desperate enough to do it that he pretty much destroys his entire world. Mm-hmm. So with that said, we'll leave, we'll leave some of the finishing of the movie till later on in the episode. If you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably stop listening <laughs> Yeah, since we've already given away a lot and go watch the movie and then come back. But if you've already seen it, you know where this is going. So stay long for the ride. Uh, some of the fa- my favorite things about the movie itself is that it, it doesn't feel produced. Right. That's like, true, yeah. And part of that is the timing of the movie and just the technology that was available. Um, but part of it is also a choice and probably budgetary. This movie seems like you're just there watching all this happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like you're watching a production. And a lot of that is... A lot of the lighting is really natural. Uh, you're out in the cold mm-hmm. of Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, the actors aren't particularly pretty. Like, there's not a single pretty person in this movie. Yeah. And it also helps that it's set in the 90s and it's now 2016. Um, but it also, that is a huge credit to the director and the producer, the Coen brothers, mm-hmm. that. For as far as I'm aware, this is their first big time movie. I think this is kind of the one that put them on the spot as far as like the grand scale is concerned. Yeah. Um, uh, the Hudsucker proxy was before this, and they spent like 
it's kind of one of these deals where like they spent thirty million dollars on the HUD sucker proxy and they made three thousand three million dollars. I've never even heard of that movie. And then Fargo, they spent three million dollars and made sixty million. So it was the one where I think they got back to who they were. Or I don't know if that's even. Yeah, they did not spend a lot of money on this movie intentionally, and but even I mean, so yeah, that's that is that's true. It just it seemed to me as I was watching it that. Even though some of the shots were obviously staged, mm-hmm. I mean every shot was staged. Right. But <laughs> even in the even in the shots that were obviously like okay, they're here in this position for a reason, mm-hmm. it still felt natural to me. Like there's one scene where Marge gets the call the morning after the triple homicide on the highway, and she wakes up and. Norm, her husband, goes, oh, i got to make you breakfast. you got to have a breakfast. I'm going to cook you some eggs. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. No, you got to have a breakfast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix you some eggs. Mm-hmm. Then it flashes to the kitchen, and you know, Marge is in her police outfit, and that's when you realize, oh, she's a cop. Um, and they're sitting there at breakfast, and then she gets up, and the camera's kind of in the corner, so you can see them sitting at the table, but you can also see the back door and the mm-hmm. police car outside. And she gets up, walks out, walks out to the car, you see her get in the car, then the camera stays there. You're like, why is the camera staying? And then you see her get back out of the car, walk back into the kitchen and go, Norm, the prowler needs a, a jump. And you're like, oh, this is like if I was just kind of sitting on the counter watching these people living life. And it's like awkwardly long on purpose because that's how long it takes for a pregnant lady to put her coat on, <laughs> walk outside, sit down into a car, realize it won't start, get her seven month pregnant. And trust me, my wife is eight months pregnant. I know how slow these people move. <laughs> and to get back out of the car and then walk in. And it just thought like it was things like that that made this movie um, feel very natural. And, and even though that was a very um, opinionated decision to shoot it that way, it felt right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was one of my favorite things about the movie. I just thought it was just directed and produced so well that it didn't seem, you know, like you watch some movies nowadays with like all the CGI and all the crazy camera angles. There weren't any crazy camera angles in this movie that I can remember. They're all just normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, it is like, you're just looking in on somebody's life. And I, I think that's even kind of the, um, you know, the, the, there's this element of that's kind of the story of, you know, this crazy stuff happens in our world. But then you have the Marge and Norm Gundersons who go about living their life and beginning to end. It's, they yeah, kind of just and, kind of go about their way. and Yeah, and to that point, like, you, we come into the story not at the beginning. We don't know how Jerry got hooked up with Shep, and Shep is the guy that hooked him up with the two burglars. And we don't know what happens to Jerry or Bruce Damara's character. Like, you just get to see the snippet that Damara is involved with, with a little, little bit before that. Consistency or repetitiveness of some of the jokes. Uh, when Marge is trying to figure out what uh, Steve Buscemi's character looks like, the uh, well, he's a short little fella, kind of funny looking. Mm-hmm. Funny looking how? 
Well, he's not circumcised. <laughs> is he funny looking in any other way? <laughs> no, just kind of in a general sense. And then later on in the movie, when they're talking to another eye, not eyewitness of the crime, but someone who's met his character, it's a guy this time, and he goes, oh, he's, he's kind of funny looking, little fella. Can you describe how? And talking to another cop completely. Mm-hmm. So he's not in on the joke yet. And the guy goes, no, just kind of in a general sense. And he's just like, they're far enough apart in the movie, but it's funny because it's the same joke delivered by two totally different people in two totally different contexts. We're like, that's good writing. Because mm-hmm. the first time you're like, okay, it's just some, you know, in this instance, this escort slash stripper slash hooker girl that <laughs> like, okay, she's probably not the most reliable of sources based on, you know, her life choices. But then you get to this, this older fella who's, you know, sort of established that police know him as a, you know, a good neighbor guy. And he makes the same exact comment. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. That's funny. Good stuff. And also, uh, another consistency in the movie. Um, Peter Stramari's uh, rage for people that won't stop talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he winds up. I, I mean, I guess I'll just say it now. He winds up killing the cop because they're going to get busted. Then he chases down the two witnesses. eyewitnesses, kills them. But then uh, Jerry Lenegard's wife won't stop crying. He winds up shooting her. And then. He gets so annoyed with how chatty Steve Buscemi's character is throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. that he winds up chopping his head maybe off, but at least severing most of his neck with an axe of some yeah. sort, and then placing his body into a wood chipper to try and dispose of the body, even though the entire yard that was covered in white snow is now covered in blood and body chunks. Mm-hmm. Sorry if you're eating. Yes. And then that's, I think, the other true part of this is somebody somewhere put their wife through a wood chipper. So those are the two. Those are the two true parts: is the guy embezzling from a car dealership or a car manufacturer, yeah. and then somebody, which are not related. actually related in real life, but those are the two pieces that spurred this story for the Cohen brothers. Jeez, that's severely messed up. All right, let's move on to dislikes of the movie, and then we can focus on on Marge. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole scene with the Mike guy at the Radisson just makes me uncomfortable to no end. <laughs> it was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> oh, but it, it accomplishes exactly oh, what you want it to. And that's why I liked it, because it... Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, it, just on... when When it's being watched i'm just like oh this is guy's creepy he's driving me crazy and then you know you kind of it, it even fits better when you learn later that the guy is totally unstable and lying yeah totally is made up all this kind of stuff um uh and and i i guess there's this part of me too that uh, it's just um like what why would marge even meet with this guy like why well, would my question is why is he even in the movie cuz he calls her out of the blue yeah Oh, it's my you know, and she's being super nice and okay. And then she calls someone to find out where a nice place to meet for lunch is. Mm-hmm. And they wind up at the Radisson. And then he tries to put the moves on yeah. her real awkwardly. And she calls him. And I just wonder if it was, if the whole point of him being in the movie was to just show her like 
resoluteness or yeah. her quality of character. Sure. But then, to your point, why did she meet with him? And maybe it was just because she was nice and had no idea that this dude was yeah, a little, you know, few a uh, few apples short of a bushel, if we're going to yeah. use that metaphor. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, that just, the scene just bothers me and just even the whole, like, why is she there and why is he there? And I don't know, just kind of, uh, creeped me out a little bit. Um, you know, um, I watched this movie the first time in the movie theaters 20 years ago and, um, I'm recalling it after I watched it the second time. It's just the amount of violence that's in it. And uh, kind of even just the amount of blood and the way some of this stuff was, I'm not a huge fan of. Like, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a dark comedy. I mean, that's what it's kind of all about. Yeah. So I, I get that. And it would ruin, well, I wouldn't say it would ruin the movie, but um, just. It I, wouldn't it, be the same if it, it was. It wouldn't be the same. So don't watch the movie if you don't like blood. If you or like... if you're averse to a ton of f bombs, yeah, there's a. I forgot. Like I was watching, and I was like, I need to turn this down. My <laughs> my my mother in law is upstairs. <laughs> now, granted, she's asleep, but you know, yeah, I just I had forgotten how. Um, but even even not so much like I mean, there's a ton of blood in a few scenes, but even just the coldness when he whips the car around and he hunts down those teenagers and he yeah. just kind of waits and just shoots one in the back, which is frankly an incredible shot with a handgun. Mm-hmm. And then he looks in the car and there's this teenage girl and he just goes hmm and shoots her in the head. Yeah, it's like whoa, that's the sort of stuff that I'm like oh. Maybe that's a better way to put it because it's it's just you can look at him and go. There's no one home. Like, he, I mean, he played that character so, and he always plays a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he's really good at playing a bad guy. Except uh, Armageddon, who oh. plays the guy on the Russian spaceship. Of course he does. <laughs> well, in all the movies I've seen him in or television shows, he's always the bad guy. Yeah, um, he usually is. But yeah, I mean, he was just so cold in that movie. And honestly, I think it fit that they were where they were, and it was winter where they were. Like everything, like you saw him, you're just like, mm-hmm. you could be a White Walker in Game of Thrones. That dude was just <laughs> cold. So, and then, I, you know, I'm not gonna say it was a huge dislike, but they definitely portray um, Minnesota and Brainerd as these out of the way, nothing's around type places, and that's just, I mean, it's a pretty decent sized town. I looked it up on Google Maps. Brainerd. Yeah. Yeah. Brainerd's good size. The the um, Paul Bunyan statue was for the movie. Oh, really? That's not true. Well, there's Paul Bunyans in Brainerd, but they're in Brainerd, and they're like all over the place. There's blue oxes all over the place. Oh. There's not like a like the giant. Like one. when you pull into Brainerd, it's not a small two. I mean, I I know you could get that way, but not from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't just pull in on a small two lane road in the middle of nowhere. Um. Uh, and then just even a lot of, um, a lot of the scenes, even in, in Minneapolis seem like it's real desolate when it's obviously Minneapolis is huge. So, um, I've already mentioned the amount of F-bombs. I just don't need that in my life because then I want to say them, <laughs> uh, pointless sex scene, two of them don't need that in my life. Because, like, they don't, I mean, there was only, 
one of them served somewhat of a purpose when Shep came in and beat the crap out of Steve Buscemi. And again, there was like 90 F-bombs in that scene. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if, it, and that's just like, that's just like moral reasons, not like it makes the movie worse. I mean, if anything, it helps you realize like, these are, these are some, mm-hmm. some serious people. <laughs> um, so I'm, I, like, if this was a PG movie, it, it probably would have been terrible. You know what I mean? Right. Because uh, as you said, it's a dark comedy. Like, that's what this movie is about. Um, but I, I would have liked, I would have liked to had a, someone better cast for Jerry's father-in-law. Hmm. Wade. I, yeah, I couldn't believe him. Like he was the one guy where I was just like, I know you're supposed to be a jerk and you're supposed to hate your son and you're supposed to be this rich guy, but it was just like, I, f- I wish that there was more interaction between them so that you could have either gotten on Wade's side or actually kind of felt bad for Jerry. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were, they almost, for me, they almost got there. Um, but it was way too much of like, oh, this Jerry guy's an idiot. I know you want me to feel pity for him, but he's an absolute moron. Yeah. And and I know you want me to think that the father-in-law is this pompous, you know, egotistical rich guy, and I feel that way. But I wish that there was more of an emotional tug for me watching it, going, "Oh, who do I, or do I hate them both?" But Mm -hmm. that that to me was like the one because Jerry was just oh, just the whole time. I was like. So that was like my one dislike with the storyline was I felt like they could have done more with that relationship in making me feel like, like giving me a choice instead of hating them both. Uh-huh. being like, you're both idiots for different reasons. I wish, I wish they would have made me choose which side am I on? Uh-huh. As opposed to just going, Oh, screw you both. Put Marge back on. Cause that's what I, that's what I felt a lot of the time when they were on screen. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, now that you say that, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I wasn't a fan of the Wade character. And he was supposed to be a jerk, but again, I just I wish they would have I wish they would have pushed us to choose. Well, and I, what and side I, we I guess on. I'm with you is I don't like everybody else in there, even with the outrageous accents and the outrageous Minnesota nice not kind of stuff. There, there's a a believableness about them that I just Wade didn't. Just yeah, he seemed he seemed like a movie character. Cardboard, yeah. Huh, hadn't thought about that. Neither did I until now. I was like, what? What is the like? Because I really enjoyed the movie outside of the, and I was like, wow, there it is. That's the one thing. Yeah. All right. Let's talk, Marge. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit already, but um, I'm gonna bring up that um, buffet scene again. Uh huh. So it. There's like not really any context. It just cuts to a buffet and you see the tray and someone is just plopping all this food on there. Yeah. Like you said, meatballs and dumplings and she skips over, you know, some gross looking chicken wings and goes on to something else. And then it pans out and it's pregnant Marge with like this the most food on a tray I've ever seen. And then it cuts to her and Norm just kind of sitting there not talking, just kind of shoveling the food into their mouths. And then one of the cops goes, oh, Norm, I thought you were going to go ice fishing. Yeah. After lunch. And that's when you realize, oh my God, that's lunch. <laughs> and it carries on, it carries on the lunch theme that they've had. Mm-hmm. 
But it's just the amount of food is gargantuan. Yeah. And to your point, it didn't look all that appetizing. And they don't look like they're having fun eating it. They're just sitting there kind of just shoving it in their mouths. Um, but when they revealed, like, it was like a joke. Oh, it's lunch. Mm-hmm. And I remember laughing out loud, thinking, that's ridiculous. But they're both, I mean, Norm was a big fella. Yeah. Um, so the things that I liked about Marge's character, now that I just totally randomly shared a favorite scene, I don't know why I did that, um, is she has that like Minnesota nice thing you're talking about. But as soon as you start paying attention to what she's doing and how she interacts with people around her, you can immediately tell that she's using that as like a sort of mask to come across as this nice middle-aged lady that's really pregnant. And she, even when she sits down, she says the same thing twice to Lundegaard. You mind if I sit down? I'm carrying quite a load here. Within the same scene, she comes back, or not the same scene, but, but she says the exact same thing to try and uh, disarm the situation. Because mm-hmm. she knows she's onto something. Yeah. Uh, and so she uses her appearance and the sort of culture of you know being nice to people as a way to make them at ease when really she's thinking through everything. Mm-hmm. And to your point, she's right the entire time. Yeah. And I think to, to me, that's such a, uh, especially in this context, like a unique character. Um, a lot of times when people try and do movie characters that try and be deceptive or, um, you know, it's like the billionaire who's also a superhero at night. Like we haven't seen that 95 times already. <laughs> um, you know, or, uh, the guy who plays dumb in school, but's really a genius, you know, goodwill hunting. He's a janitor, but he's really intelligent. Like it's, and, and don't get me wrong. That was a really good movie too, but it just seems to me that this whole, it just works. The, the middle age, the, the, and I think the fact that she's pregnant helps because mm-hmm. no one, and she's from in the movie, Brainerd in the movie, which is this, you know, podunk town mm-hmm. where Paul Bunyan's outside and just everything about the context and, you know, her stage of life makes you think, oh, and she's going to the big city to investigate what happened in the big city. And <laughs> it's different in Minneapolis because, you know, police, police work doesn't translate. It only, it only works if you're a small town cop. You can only be a small town cop. You can't <laughs> apply the same training and reason and logic to what happens in the big city. And I just think they framed her character so well that you were on her side immediately. And it wasn't um, surprising when she decides she's finds the car and she's just going to go by herself to the house to try and catch the bad guys. Like it makes total sense, even though there's two feet of snow outside and she's pregnant and she's all by herself against two psychos. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, yeah, of course she would. It's Marge. Yeah, she's a boss. Like it just totally makes sense. And so I just I think as a as a um, surprising yet believable character, she, I mean, and you, you, you give the writers credit, obviously, but you got to give Frances McDormand a ton of credit because in a, in a lesser actress's hand, this could have been way less believable. Mm-hmm. But even the way that like she smiles at people when she's talking or the way she'll make like a, a little quip, but then bring it right back. Um, I think she, I've always liked 
Frances McDormand in the movies that I've seen her. And I've not seen all of her films, but the ones that I have seen her in, I thought this lady knows what she's doing. And, um, I just, I just really enjoyed it thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess with Marge, um, she's just, she's unassuming. She's just, she's smart. She doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. Um, and you know, just even her relationship with her husband, uh, she's just, she's just very comfortable in her skin and who she is. Um, she's incredibly, uh, optimistic, positive person. Uh, you know, at the very end of the movie when she's driving, um, she's driving back. I'm trying to think of where she, she was at the lake and she's driving back to the, I guess, police station Mm -hmm. and she's got, um, I can't think of his name in the back seat, but basically says it's a, it's a beautiful day and they showed the, the road and it's basically blizzard conditions kind of a thing. And, um, that was a great scene. So, um, you know, I, I like the fact that it's a strong female role, uh, without having to prove anything, you know, there's not this, um, well, never once does do they do the I'm the police chief and I'm a woman. Like she's it's it's not about the movie's not about proving that women can do this job mm-hmm. because they can. Obviously, the movie is about her as a person. You know what I mean? And 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 this crazy story of just one mistake after another. And it's not about proving that she's smart enough to do the job or strong enough to do the job. It's about what happens when somebody loves what they do mm-hmm. and does it well. Yeah. And then at the end of the, like, again, at the end of the movie, like they solve this huge crime, the biggest crime they've seen in years. And there's no hooray. There's no, it's just, she crawls in the bed with her husband and they celebrate the fact that we got two more months till our kids here. And Hey, we got it pretty good. Yeah. Even though she just, she just walked in on a guy shoving his partner through a wood chipper, (laughs) but it's just totally like, Oh yeah. It's another day at the office. This is what I do. Yep. And she, yeah, she's not to prove a point. She's just there to do her job. Yeah. And like you said, they don't go into a lot of, uh, they don't go into a lot of just, you know, there's no closure at the end per se. Uh, but I, I guess I fully suspect that she, um, puts all the loose pieces together and connects Jerry to it. And, you know, maybe even Shep and is that right? Shep, was that the mechanic's name? Oh, she already talked. She talks to him at the end of the movie and it's like, you don't want to, you know, this is a violation of your parole. You don't want to wind back up at the yeah. Stillwater. You better uh, <laughs> tell me where I can find this fella. And that's when Shep goes and beats the living yeah. daylights out oh, of yeah. Steve Buscemi's character. But, you know, all, all those, anybody that's that's associated with that uh, can be charged with conspiracy. And so I'm, I would assume that she brought that uh, together. And, and the reality is, is, I mean, on something like this, and I don't know what, Brainerd 1987 would have been, but 
this probably would have brought in the state police, if not the FBI. Well, because the officer that was murdered was a state police trooper. And so she wouldn't, she, you know, I guess I shouldn't totally, but yeah, uh, she would very much be a part of the investigation, but it's, it's going to get, you know, a lot of attention from a lot of people Mm -hmm. beyond just the chief of police of Brainerd. But anyway. All right, Dave. Yes. What are some of your favorite quotes? Well, here's my thing is, uh, I did my quotes on my phone and I left my phone elsewhere. And so I've been looking at some of these and I, I honestly think, I love the whole interaction when, again, she shows up at the crime scene <laughs> and just the, the interaction between her and Lou. And I don't know. Do you have yours? Well, my, my, my first favorite quote from the movie is that exact scene where she gets down on her hands and knees. She looks in the car and she makes, oh, is that a defensive wound comment? And uh-huh. then she stands up and she goes, oh, and she bends over. Lou goes, are you okay? She goes, I think I'm going to barf. And he goes, oh. And she goes, morning sickness. And then she kind of like, whoosh, whoosh, deep breath, stands up. Okay, I'm good. That's passed. Yeah. Now I'm hungry again. Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, just ridiculous. She's in this giant poofy hat and the big jacket, and she's just stumbled upon a double homicide. She's got her coffee in one hand. And she just takes it in stride and goes, okay, I'm hungry again. Yeah. And so... Yeah, that was truly, and it, but it's just, it's just every, and I know a quote needs to be just a couple of lines like you did, but just every piece of that is just, uh, it cracks me up. Um, you know, just even the, oh, by his footprint, he must've been a big fella. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's that, but there's so much more going on of her really assessing that crime scene and realizing that. There was two different people at two different places, and uh, yeah. And so later on, on that that same scene, they're driving back, and you know, Lou says that they got a partial plate starting with DLR. So I've got all the people in Minnesota looking for a brown Sierra with the license plate that starts with DLR, and then she goes, "Gee, Lou." I'm not sure I agree a hundred percent with your police work there. <laughs> and then she tells him it's probably a dealer plate. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you can see like, I never even thought of that. But yeah. just the way she puts it, I'm not sure I agree a hundred percent with your police work there. Like real, like motherly, you know, instead of being like Lou, you're an idiot. Yeah. Use your brain, buddy. Um, and then there's another one later. And this is just, I, I don't know if this is the way people talk in Minnesota, but when people, people in Kansas do this, not this particular way, but they drop verbs. People like uh, friends would be like, "Oh, my uh, my car needs washed." No, your car needs to be washed. Yeah. Or my house needs vacuumed. No, it needs to be vacuumed. It makes me crazy. It's one of the first things I noticed when I moved here. Interesting. They just drop verbs. And so in this instance, she goes. She, first time she meets Jerry, she goes, hi, uh, you know, uh, I'm a police officer up Brainerd investigating some malfeasance. Yes. And it's like up Brainerd. Up north in Brainerd? Up in? Like she, there's words missing, but she says it multiple times. Oh, I'm an officer up Brainerd. 
that's not English. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's a, it's a, I like the quote because she says she's investigating some malfeasance. malfeasance which, yes. I'm sorry, if you're going to leave out words in your sentence and then drop malfeasance, like there's, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's an issue there. Yeah. You can't have a big vocabulary and choose not to speak proper English, but what do I know? Yeah. What about you? Any of the other ones sticking out? That's, I, I'm having a hard time uh, remember. Um, the other one that it just cracks me up is uh, when she's interviewing the gals at the bar and the one girl says that uh, uh, she's from Chaska. And then at the very end, she's like, go bears. <laughs> well, she goes, she goes, I'm from Chaska, but I went to, I went to high school in like white bear Lake. Yeah. I think go it, bears. Go yeah. bears. <laughs> go bears. <laughs> but even like the little like motion she yeah. makes like, woo, I was a cheerleader, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like that sort of unnecessary stuff that you really tell, like they really paid attention. Yep. To, how do we even make this person who's in the movie for 20 seconds? really relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I just. That's thank you for reminding me that that's quite um, funny. The one where where she's sitting in the car dealership and she sees Jerry driving away, and she's like, "Oh, for Pete's sakes, he's fleeing the interview!" <laughs> and then it's like something clicks in her head that she learned at a police school or police training, and goes, "He's fleeing the interview!" Like that's a clue to pay. Hey, I need to pay attention. He's, yeah. he's fleeing the interview. Oh, so, geez. Um, and it was like that was kind of like the only time you really see her get like worked up or yeah. excited is when he's fleeing uh the interview. It's kind of like she's like I knew it. I yeah, got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh my last favorite quote from the movie is at the very end when she's um in the car with Peter Stamari and I don't actually think they're driving. I think they're sitting at the um the lake house because it flips to the cops and they're flying down the road at them. So I think she's just sitting in the car. He's in the back cuffed and there she's just waiting for backup is what I'm assuming is happening. Because I don't know why the cop cars would be flying at her while she's, they would just be at the station waiting for her. I'm just assuming. Well, she, they have a whole crime scene to process. and. Well, that's true. I figured they just would leave the The quote the, that the you're going to say, she's laying on the, right? Is that what you're going to say? Because hmm? cause technically, I mean, you got a crime scene, you still have another body back yeah, there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's like a shin and a foot and then a dead well, and the, Lady. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, so she's, she's kind of like portraying the story back to this guy. She goes, so you, you know, you, you killed a cop, you killed two innocent bystanders, you killed Mrs. Lundegaard and you killed your, she goes, all that for a little money. And she goes, there's more to life than a little money, you know? And she pauses. Don't you know that? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's just like. You can tell at this point she's like morally repulsed that someone would do this for a little bit of money. Now, granted, forty grand even today, yeah, that's not a little money. And I, but I get what she's saying. It like are 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 that many lives worth forty grand? Yeah, and she's just like, you can, don't you know that? She gets like so, <laughs> and that's when she goes, "It's a beautiful day," and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, I just think it's funny that she's lecturing this psycho. Like, he's going to get it. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of looks at her, and they just cut the scene. Like, it's just, it's, it's very, I thought it was a great way to end the movie. Because mm-hmm. even, even in the midst of all of that awfulness, she's still the same down-to-earth 
person who's trying to do the right thing. And for her, the right thing is trying to get this guy to realize like, dude, <laughs> what's your deal? You know? Yep. Yep. The time has come, Dave. Mm-hmm. What's your rating for Marge Gunderson out of five somethings? <laughs> I, I'm going to give Marge a five out of five. We give too many of those out. Oh, have we given fives out of fives? I think we both gave five out of five to Joker last episode. Well, I'm going to give a five out of five to Marge because this is our sixth show. Mm-hmm. And she's the first female character. And uh, I just don't think there are a lot of... Um, I think there's just, and it's the nature, I think, of Hollywood. There's just a lot more me- great male roles than there are female roles. And then on top of that, uh, to pull it off in a, a dark comedy like she does, um, I think to, to you know pull off the whole Minnesota nice and what could really be annoying, she makes it work. So, yeah, to me, there's just a lot about um, her being a female. I know it probably is not fair to do that, but it took us six shows to get to that. So, And I don't think we have a whole list of others that are waiting in the wing for us to do. We've got a few. Okay. Yeah, we got a few. You've got me, you've got me conflicted now, Dave. Well, say what you were going to say. I was going to give her a four out of five. Okay. And the reason, the reason being is that there are large portions of the movie that she's not in. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's not her fault. It's, you know, the Cohen's fault. Um, but I mean, she's not in the movie until like after 20 or 30 minutes and it's only a 98 minute movie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she's, she's absent the first quarter of the movie. And um, I feel like I'm penalizing the character for something that's not the character's fault there. But it just left me with a bunch of idiots the first quarter of the movie, so I'm kind of mad about it. <laughs> um, honestly, though, I think that, I, I mentioned this earlier, I think Frances McDormand takes what was already a good character and just knocks it out of the ballpark. Um, so I will say this. I will give the character a four out of five just because I wanted more of the character, but I will give Frances McDormand a five out of five because I thought she was incredible. So maybe I should just give it a five out of five, but I feel like I'm giving too many of those away. I don't know. <laughs> Can we settle on like a four and a half out of five? Sure. Is that, is that cheating? Uh, it's our podcast. You can do whatever you want. That's true. <laughs> I do have the microphone. All right. So um, one quick order of business. There will be a link in the show notes to our YouTube channel. Woohoo. We started posting episodes on YouTube, so if you know somebody that might appreciate this podcast but doesn't necessarily like subscribe to podcasts because they're more of a YouTube person, you can send this link to them and be like, hey, listen to this great podcast. Luckily for you, they're on YouTube as well. So we'll have that link in the show notes. And also, if you want to um, suggest characters for us to cover in future episodes, that'd be great because we have a list, but... There's probably movies that we haven't seen or haven't considered that yeah. should be discussed on this show. So if you have suggestions, you can email us at hello at supermegacorp.net or you can uh, tweet at Dave at 10.8HBO or H the only number. And you can tweet me at Cam Brennan until Twitter gets bought and destroyed by somebody, which seems, you know, <laughs> like it might happen. 
But anyways, thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. Yep.